morning, good evening, good afternoon. How are you? You're looking well, I must say. Thank you for coming to join me on this very first interview episode of the Life with a Y podcast. Today, as you'll have seen, we are interviewing James Buckley, one of the best well-known sales trainers and sales personalities in the in the technology space. Now, what you're going to notice from today's interview with James is that James has lived multiple lives. James is well known uh, for being bubbly, energetic, positive. However, it wasn't always that way. And that's why I wanted to interview him today and wanted to see why he does what he does. James has lived multiple lives and he gives us a very unique perspective on why people do what they do from different characteristics and from different viewpoints in his own life. We talk about his vulnerabilities, his emotions, his passions, why he's in sales, which is a a very interesting choice given the beginning of his life, Um, why he loves to do what he hates to do, and we touch on quite a bit. Um, But look, in the next section of this podcast, I'm going to tell you more about what I knew about James before we had this conversation. Let's get cracking. So before we crack into the actual episode itself, before we crack into the interview, let me tell you about where I came to this interview from. I had already recorded the first couple of episodes with a couple of other guests. So I came in knowing the format. I came in comfortable with the questions that I was going to ask. I, However, in the other conversations, I was a little bit more used to controlling a conversation. Today, that did not happen. <laughs> I tried to bring James down a couple of different roads and we kept doing tangents and it was fantastic. You're, you're going to hear a little bit more about that later. But I think that's because of our personal relationship. So let me tell you how I met James Buckley. James is very, very well known in the sales community. He's very well known in the tech sales community. He's a sales trainer. He's built up a massive online following, both LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it's on Twitter as well. James is very well known in the tech sales space and I came across him through that, through through my career. Um, He ended up selling me the John Barrows sales training course, of which I'm now an affiliate. And in that process, we just got chatting. Um, The guy really, really, really likes Ireland. Um, One of the things you'll notice in every piece of content is he always wears an Ireland-themed t-shirt pretty much in every piece of content you can find these days. He's got deep roots over here in Ireland. And yeah, we just kind of started talking, started knowing each other. I started attending the John Barrows webinars, um, of which he would be, he would be a part of. James is a really likable guy. So the more we, more I got to know him, the more comfortable I got around him, the more comfortable I was asking him on this podcast. What we get through today in the podcast, a lot of it was new to me. A lot of it was news to me. So let me tell you about what I knew before walking in to this podcast, before walking into this episode. I knew about James's success as a a sales trainer. James has done quite a few podcasts in the past. He's both produced, hosted, been guests on. So I knew he had a varied history. Everything from um, multiple careers in in his work life to his his personal life, having gone through a a divorce. he lived a very different life at the very beginning of his life from what he's up to now. And he'll, uh, it'll actually be one of the first, first couple of, in the first few minutes, you'll really hear how different it is in this, in this episode. I knew elements of James's life from his podcast episodes, but I had never really gotten deep. And that was one of the main things that we got today. We really went deep into the life of James. However, there's so much to this man. That's the thing. There's so much to this man. We ended up touching on a couple of different icebergs. So if throughout this different, throughout this this episode, you notice that I'll touch on an iceberg and go somewhere else, don't worry. We come back to it. We come back to it in the later episodes, episode uh, three and four. Um, so if at any stage today, you, you're like, oh, I wish we'd learn more, a little bit more about that. That will come. That'll come later. But, without further ado, welcome to the very first interview of the Life with a Y interview series podcast. I hope you enjoy. So, James Buckley, thank you very much for, for joining. How are you getting on today? How are you feeling, man? 
My pleasure, man. I feel great. Uh, I've been waiting for this moment for a week now since you and I discussed coming on. Mm. Uh, excited to be um, on an Irish podcast. I'll be really honest. This is like a dream come true for me because I'm so close to to everything Irish. So am I, am <laughs> it's I part of first, what I am. Am I your first Irish podcast? I believe you'd be my first Irish podcast. Yeah. So this uh, is really exciting amazing. for me, just like you. <laughs> I am so glad because you are my very first guest on the podcast. We're going, inter- <laughs> we're going international. The stars align, my man. We are going international <laughs> from day one. Oh, man. Well, look, thank you very much for for joining. At this stage, people will have a general idea as to who you are. I will have explained, you know, who you are and how we met. But yeah. rather than explaining what you do, can you tell them who you are to you? So who are you? Who I am to me. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that I am a uh, I am a hopelessly positive individual that has a lot of broken glass behind me, if you will. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Oh, what a what a what a prelude. <laughs> the first... I try to make it small, you know. Oh Nothing man, you've too done big. this before. Like, what a hook. Um, so a hopelessly positive person with with some broken glass behind them. That's right. Um, you want me to expand? Uh, I have, I have an unbelievably positive outlook on life because you know I could have died like years ago <laughs> from all of the stuff that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing. And then at the same time, I've heard a lot of people in my past and know a lot of people apologies. And you know, you live with that stuff every single day, no matter how far you grow, no matter how much you achieve some level of perceived success in your mind, our past will stay with us forever, right? Uh, and you don't forget the things that you do that are wrong and things you shouldn't have done that you did, uh, just because you had a justified reason in your mind. So I always look at my broken glass in my rearview mirror often, and I try to piece together those, those pieces so that I can see it more clearly and understand why I make the decisions that I make. Well, that is one of the reasons I wanted you to be my very first guest on this podcast, because (laughs) it's all about, you know, finding people's why and why they do what they do. But you've had, I I don't even want to say it's a unique journey because it isn't, but the outcome I feel is, is kind of. It is not unique. That's right. No, (laughs) it may not be, but I think the outcome is. Um, But look, before we crack into all of that, I'd love to get for people to get a sense of your personality because I've known you for a while, but yeah. they've only known you for three minutes. So yep. what, what was, what has been the most amazing adventure you've ever been on? Uh, so I actually have two, I have two that I've been on that really stand out to me. And I consider these places now to be like my homes away from home because the adventures were so great. And I could go back a thousand times over and still feel the same level of excitement and attachment. And the first one was my first trip to Ireland. I feel mm. very connected to that island and its people and its history. Uh, I, I know a lot about it. I'm quite educated when it comes to the background of Ireland, as you know. Yes. Um, and then at the same time, uh, I feel the same way about West Africa, specifically Ghana. I, I've been there a couple times now, and we're going back in September of this year. Now that we are, my wife and I are both vaccinated and able to fly and not put anyone in danger doing so. Uh, but I want to own land in West Africa one day, and uh, you know, I, I'd like to spend more time there. That that those people and that place, the history there, changes who you think you are. Uh, you come back from those places, both of those places, you come back a different person with a little bit more respect for things that are greater than you. Well, both of those little, places will show you how small you are. <laughs> tell me a little bit more about the Irish trip. Because we, we've had that. So I came before. to Ireland. Uh, it's always been a dream of mine. I had, so I had a missed opportunity, actually, to go to Ireland. My father died um, from Lou Gehrig's disease and uh, probably 07. I, I want to say 07. It might have been 08. Uh, but he died from Lou Gehrig's. And before he went, he went to Ireland and asked me to go with him. But at the time I was so wrapped up in drugs and violence and the, the you know, different people I shouldn't have been messing around with. And, you know, I was, I, I was in, a, in my first marriage at the time and just miserable. There's so much backstory to this like <laughs> life that I've had, but I didn't go. I, I didn't consider it a, a priority that I should go to Ireland with my father before he dies. Like now that I say that out loud, imagine how that feels in retrospect. You know what I'm saying? Like 
so when I graduated from college, we went to West Africa. That was our first trip. My wife had gone with the school and really fell in love with the culture. So we went back on our own accord. The following year, we went to Jamaica. I visited Bob Marley's house. It was fantastic. If you ever get out there, don't go to the beach. Go to Bob Marley's house. It's way cooler. So, <laughs> so then... The following year, we went to Ireland and my wife planned the entire trip. Didn't tell me anything about it. And then uh, she said, okay, three weeks. Here's the three weeks I need you to schedule off. I scheduled those three weeks off. And I was like, where are we going? What are we doing? And she was like, we are on the way to Ireland. And I was like, what? And I was the most excited person that you could ever come in contact with when it came to like, you know, things that are Irish. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) When we got there, we rented the car and we uh, hit the hotel we spent three weeks driving to every city, every town, every place that we could. I stopped at as many pubs as I possibly could fit into the time frame. I stayed up as late as possible, talking to people, uh, getting their backstories, learning about their families, learning about my family's history there. Uh, you know, there was just so much uh, romance, if you will tied to the experience of Ireland, its history. Like, you know, you talk about American history, you're going back a couple hundred years. You talk about Irish history, you're going back to the dawn of the, like before a monotheistic perspective, when the river gods were a thing and the clans worshiped at a totally different level, right? Druids. I mean, it goes back to like before the concept of a Christian God, if you will. I mean, yeah. That history alone is enough to keep me there forever. <laughs> you visit places like St. Canisius Cathedral in Kilkenny, and you know you know in that moment that you could spend an eternity there and never lose the level of happiness that you're in in that moment. That's why I asked that question, because anybody listening to you <laughs> now will understand exactly how passionate and energetic you are just as a person. Um, mm. And it's, I think it's one of the reasons why we've, we've been able to like, chat as much as possible and chat as much as we have um there's and i really wanted people to get a sense as to as to who you are today but before we so but there is there have been a couple of different versions of you Uh, um and i'm very fortunate in that i'm very fortunate in that i only know the current one um yep however everybody is everybody that's connected to me you're very lucky that you know me now <laughs> so tell us tell us more about that because as far as i'm concerned there's like three but there could be a hell of a lot more so can you give us a little bit of a sense of your journey before we get into your why yeah so so and there's probably an enormous cohort of 80s children that will relate to this but i was the ritalin kid as a younger guy, real young, like four years old, was diagnosed early with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Okay, fine. Slap a label on me. Super fun. Right? In the 80s, when this hit the scene, parents everywhere were like, oh, this sounds just like my kid. He can't sit still. He doesn't pay attention. He talks uncontrollably. He's constantly bouncing off the walls, even though all I feed him is sugar. Like these are, these were like thoughts that parents were having in the time period. And Ritalin was brand new wave of the future, control your kid and keep that level of focus so that they can do better in school, uh, be more consistent with their grades, retain more information, slow their mind down a little bit so that they're focused on what they're learning. This was the, the, the wave, the movement that was happening at the time. Uh, so an, a lifetime of taking pills every single day and feeling like a zombie and not myself, uh, <laughs> and then it's where like you cheat and you don't take the pill and everyone can tell because you talk a mile a minute and you're bouncing off the walls and your brain can't focus on something for longer than five seconds. Right. Ooh, shiny is like the way that you grow up. <laughs> what, what age were you when you were started on Ritalin? Four. I was four years old. Yeah. Well, that makes the yeah. next chapter a little bit. 1985, um, 1985. I would, I would have been 1985. That makes yeah. the next Dr. Chapter. Shelley. She was amazing though. Let me tell you, I could come into this lady's office and I could sit there and tell her all my problems as a little kid. And she would get, say things to me that made me feel better and maybe make decisions better. And like, you know, you can't overstress the amount of need for help in today's environment. Like, you know, before her time type stuff, Dr. Shelley, if you're out there listening to this mad love, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm glad <laughs> that you had that, but that makes the next step a little bit, a little bit easier to believe. So what started when you were 11? 
Uh, so I was probably 11 or 12 when I started smoking pot and drinking, <laughs> you know, you get into your dad's booze. <laughs> you, there's this like refrigerator in your garage as a young American kid in the nineties. That's like full of nothing but Bud Light, you know, <laughs> you know, your dad isn't going to miss 11 of them, you know? So you take off with your friends and go pound a bunch of beers and, you know, you get, you get addicted to, you know, that, that screwed up feeling, that feeling of getting messed up. And yeah, that happened for me at a really young age. And I chased that for a really long time in my life. And it led to some, some pretty rough times, but even through school, man, like I was the biggest jerk. I was bigger than most kids. Everybody liked me. So I had a lot of backup. Like I remember, I remember Jason Feldman, Jason Feldman, who is a friend today, a friend today, lifelong friend, him and I did not hit it off. Well, we had a crush on the same kid. And he was like, I'm going to meet you at the mall and I'm going to bust you up. And I was like, all right, well, you bring your click and I'll bring mine and I'll see you there. <laughs> and he showed up with the chick that we were fighting over and another girl. And I showed up with like 30 big dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you guys had different ideas of what was about to go down. <laughs> it didn't go the way he thought he ran. Everybody chased him. I didn't say, go get him. Like that never happened. But they all chased him down and it didn't go well for him. And him and I ended up connecting again in the hallway once at school that it, it didn't go well for either of us. And uh, after that, I met his little brother and his little brother and I became really close. And him and I suddenly were able to like put this behind us and become friends. This man is a firefighter today. So is his little brother. And we are good friends. We talk on Facebook all the time. This guy goes back to, you know, fifth grade with me. So, you know, I was a bully. I, I later became a bouncer at hmm. nightclubs this was just an excuse to put my hands on people like you know uh yeah you're I, the job of a bouncer for those of you that have never been in a nightclub setting and seen these guys that are standing against the wall i worked with a lot of these guys the job is not to fight the job is to avoid the fight <laughs> which means you have to neutralize people and move them out of the scene we had many nights where we left the bar at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning in Miami. And the people that we had thrown out of the bar were standing outside waiting for us. There's no one around for anything to stop happening. Right. Like yeah. it, it was a really interesting time in my life. Uh, and then I started working, I would say uh, 2007, 2000, no 2000. So I was like 18, 19 at this point, uh, 2000, I picked up a, uh, part-time job at the University of Miami in their telecommunications department under Cesar Ferrero, one of the meanest sons of bitches you'll ever meet in your life. This was like, you know, a giant man that would call you into his office and be like, what are you doing, Bobby? You're wasting my time. You know, like, <laughs> okay, yeah, close the door just so he could yell at you for a while and then tell mm. you to go back to your desk. <laughs> but I worked under this man for six years and I learned all about Windows XP and the networking of the time and fiber optics and, you know, all the things that were making internet strides at the time were a big focus for the University of Miami at the time. And I got to learn a lot about technology. And that's kind of what led me into this path of tech sales in a way. Uh, I spent 15 years in the kitchen as well. I used to be a cook. I cook for my family every night. My wife's not made a meal in 14 years. She's not welcome in my kitchen. Uh, nice. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of bouncing back and forth to like become this eclectic individual with all these life experiences behind you. I think that's what helps make me relatable. Yeah, absolutely. You've got quite a few life experiences. Um, some more defining than others, I'll say. Um, and it's, it's funny because anybody listening to this wall who hasn't met you won't necessarily know the version of you that I know. Um, and we will come to that. Uh, we, we definitely yeah. will come to that. But I want to start with where you started rather than rather than where we're at now. Yeah, um, sure. Can we chat a little bit about what what I see as one of the bigger moments? Um, and I hope you you'll you'll share the same uh, opinion. Um, without giving the story away, I'm just going to say that you had a football in your chest, and that I hope will ah yeah story. Yeah, yeah, that was a good. That was a good moment for me, even though it, it, when you look back at it, people mostly think it's a bad experience. But if it wasn't for this experience, I don't think that I'd be who I am. Uh, so this goes back, I want to say 2000, yeah, 2006, 2007, just before I left for Tennessee. This was the catalyst 
for me leaving Miami, Florida. I was working at a restaurant there, local restaurant that shall remain nameless. If you know me and you're connected to my past, you know what the restaurant is I'm referring to in South Florida. Uh, but but uh, c- cocaine abundance, right? Like I had developed this terrible habit of, you know, probably an eight ball a day, sometimes two if it was a Friday, you know, and that's a lot. That's a lot of coke, you know. Uh, so I'm at work and I'm working the fryer and I'm cooking and I'm cleaning this fryer and I'm probably on like my, I don't know, second or third eight ball of the evening. I'd been there all day, start to finish, but I'm feeling great, right? Who's not on your second eight ball? Uh, so somebody comes in and they're like, Jim, and I turned my back. And when I, when I moved my hand with the rag in it had slipped into the grease. If you know anything about deep fryers, you know, these things are like 350, 375 degrees, sometimes hotter. So I very quickly pulled the rag out of the grease so that my hand would not burn. But in the process of doing that, I had kind of splashed some grease on my chest. You can sort of see some of the scarring there. And then my, my, my chin got the most of it. So I can't, I can't grow any hair right there in that spot. That's kind of bald. Right. Uh, So, so that's, that's what happened. Um, My boss at the time knew everything about who I was and what I was doing and was like, you got to get out of here. I need you to go to the hospital. You can't work in here when you're all burned up. And I was like, dude, I can't look at me, man. Like you don't just walk into a hospital like this. Um, In any case, I ended up going, he was like, give me everything you got. Just go come back, bring me the bill, say nothing. Just go, just go get treated, come back and bring me the bill. I was like, all right, cool. So I come back, you know, I go to the doctor's office, Doctors are not stupid. Doctors are trained professionals that do this day in, day out. They've seen it all. They've done it all. There's nothing that's going to surprise them. The moment they look at you, they know you're messed up. The moment they look at you. So I'm in this hospital bed and I've got these fluorescent lights on me and my eyes are like the size of headlights, you know? And he says, I'm going to do a chest x-ray just to be safe. So (laughs) does the chest x-ray, comes back, throws it up on the light. And says, do you see this white mass about the size of an NFL football that's pushing on your rib cage? And I said, yes. And he said, that is your heart. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I see people like you in and out of here all day, every day. But if you don't make some changes at any moment, your heart could just rupture and no one could save you. Even here right now, if it happened, I wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd bleed out in like eight seconds. Your heart is too large. It's pumping too much. So the next day, uh, I woke up and I packed everything I could onto a truck and we, we moved to East Tennessee. <laughs> Damn, that is one hell of a TED talk. Yeah. Yeah. Best move I ever made though. Best move I ever made. I have been cocaine free now for 14 straight years. Every day I wake up, I put my feet on the ground and that's the first thing I think in my mind. Sometimes I say it out loud. I'm not going to do any cocaine today. <laughs> really? 14 years later. Yeah. Yeah. 14 years later, I still think about it all the time. I tell people all the time, you have to embrace that part of it. You know, you have to live in the past if you must, you know, that, that part of it is important for former users. Tell those stories, remember them, share them with people that think doing cocaine is fun. Cause I can share lots of stories of me laying at night, staring at the ceiling, trying to breathe, not sleeping. Right. Of course. You know, I don't miss that. That's not fun for me. No, I imagine not. Live in the past if you must to remind yourself as to how bad it actually was. Yeah, it was bad, man. I fought with my wife every single day. We were miserable as a couple, like, you know. Well, that's another, that brings me to the next, what I feel to be a big change in your life. Yeah, yeah, it was a big change. I'm happy to, let's let's do it. Brian, you're good at dragging things out of people, I'll tell you what. Or I just talk a lot. Um. (laughs) I just ask questions. Um, I just ask a lot of questions. I hear you. Um, yeah. Uh, so when we moved to Tennessee, obviously there's a reckoning, right? So two things happened. The first thing that happened was I bought a house for the first time, uh, but I used my dad's money. Uh, he had not passed at the time, but I asked him for money so I could buy this house and you know, have a place to live for me and my wife and my young daughter, my child at the time. Uh, when we got the house, everything seemed like it was going to go fine. And then about two years later, my dad passed and I immediately, you know, relapsed. That was the one time that I had an issue here in Tennessee. 
the good news was that the, the cocaine here was so bad <laughs> that I was like, this is it. This is where I could spend my whole life. I'll never do cocaine again. This is awful stuff here. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's it's good, right? Me. It's fine. It's fine. So it's, it's like fine. there's that element of waking up in the morning and being like, I'm not going to do cocaine today. But even yeah. if I decided to, it would be awful. So I'm just I'd be disappointed. an part of not doing yeah. it. I would be mad about it. So I'm not going to do it. So, <laughs> so, you know, after I relapsed and uh, sobered up again, I realized that, you know, we were just spinning our wheels. I was very unhappy in my marriage. I wasn't happy with the person that I was with. So I made a decision. I left. Well, <laughs> the, the, the short story is that it took me three years to get a divorce. And I basically lost my kids through the process. You know, the courts were all willing to say that I could visit them, but to actually enforce that and make it happen was a different story altogether. Um, and then, you know, over time, you realize that, what are you really trying to do? You, I, could, I could easily spend five, 10, 15, $20,000 right now and drag my ex-wife back into court and get temporary custody of my kids if I really wanted to put them through that again, you know, but you don't. So years go by, you know, before you know it, you're grown, they're grown, they're kids, they're teenagers. Now you've had a handful of conversations with them over the last five years. Most of them are pretty superfluous surface level. Uh, your kids are, you know, uh, and I'm going to say this as gingerly as I can, your kids are influenced in a big way to have an opinion of you, even though they don't know you when you're a father that doesn't have access. Um, and let me tell you that there are a lot of people that have this problem, not just me. I'm not alone in a, a fatherhood that is absent uh, involuntarily like that. I, I'm not going to force myself on my children in their lives, nor am I going to put myself in danger by coming in contact with my ex-wife, who has not historically been the best figure in my life. So there's that element of like, loss in me that never goes away, man. I mean, it never goes away. I wake up every day thinking about what my kids are doing this morning, you know? So yeah, we went through a really nasty divorce. I'll spare you the details of it. Uh, but I'll say that I hold the crown for the most absurd divorce proceedings that have probably ever been heard before. And I would love to hear anybody's story rival mine. I'll give it to you one-on-one -on -one anytime you want. Reach out to me. I would love to hear it. Uh, will compare and contrast. You <laughs> know, it's. I hope people are getting the same sense of you that I am. We've just talked about being on drugs from the age of four, uh, some of yeah. which prescribed, some of which not so much, uh, having a de huge detriment to your. I don't even want to say the words mental health because the, it was uh, an element of I'm trying to breathe right now with the amount of substances in my system. Followed yeah. by a a rebirth of sorts in that you pack up everything and get on a on a van to Tennessee, and then are dragged through what you as as you've described the most uh, absurd court proceedings that you've ever come across. Yeah. So, but we started this podcast with you saying you're hopelessly positive. That's right, baby. And you can see I've been smiling through this entire conversation, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more as to who you are now. Yep. I so I met, I, I met my, what is, well, who is now my wife. Uh, her name is Angie. I owe her my life. I owe many people my life. First of all, I owe that doctor, uh, whatever your name is. I don't even remember, but you saved my life, man. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you remember me or if you're out there listening to this by chance, if you remember that conversation and that x-ray, I'm here because of you, man. <laughs> so yeah, my, uh, my current wife, her name is Angie. She signed me up for college. I was cooking. I was back in the kitchens. But I was sober, you know. When you say when you, you know, said back in the kitchens, this is working as a chef or is this in your home house? Working. Yeah, I was working as a cook, working right. as a cook, you know. I'm back in the kitchens and I wanted more out of life. I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do now that I had this like new perspective and things were going well for me. And I felt like this sense of like freedom from my bad situation, even though and I, I'm seeing my kids like every other weekend occasionally, because sometimes, you know, ex-wives just don't show up, man. Like that just happens, right? So 
you deal with that and you move on with your life. And there was a, a moment there where we wanted to have the time. We wanted to have the, the freedom to do what we wanted to do. We wanted to live the life that we knew we deserved from our previous lives. Both her and I had our own stories, man. Like we, we hit it off because we are the same person. We have been through a lot together and we've been through a lot separately. We relate to each other in a big way. Uh, and we wanted the lives that we thought we deserved. So she went to college for one semester, community college right here in Tennessee. Loved the experience. The next semester, she said, I signed you up for classes. And I said, well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what I said, a I'm not going to do it. Beautiful response. Yeah, I said, I'm not going to do it. I can't believe you did that. That is uh, disappointing. And I never want to, I never want to do that. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. And she said, look, give it one semester. If you like it, keep going. And if you don't, you can quit. I don't care. I said, okay. Fell in love with it. I mean, yeah. immediately got into class, made a bunch of friends, started talking to people. There's a ping pong table. Like I'm having a good time. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm going to classes and like, you know, bettering myself. So I feel like we're on a good path. Uh, I got laid off. She got laid off. We were on unemployment for two years and on food stamps. And we went to college full time and we got our associate's degrees in two and a half years on that on food stamps welfare the whole nine like like government basically supported us to get us our associates degrees uh, and then we got full-time gigs i got one in the kitchens and she got one uh in the front of the house serving tables and doing other jobs that she had picked up a tutoring job along the way um, and we got our bachelor's degrees in two and a half years so it took us five years to get our bachelor's degrees as non-traditional students, non-traditional students being defined as like, you have children, you have life behind you, you have work experience, you commute. These are all non-traditional students. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we, we had a very unlikely chance that we would survive. I mean, she was a relationship I got into right after a divorce. We ended up going to college. She had just gotten out of a divorce. There was a lot there, you know? So, you know, the chances of us making it through all of those things were pretty slim. And here we are, you know, 15 years later. Yesterday, actually, we celebrated our anniversary. 15 years yesterday. Yeah. Can you yeah, tell and me if you'd have asked anybody, if you'd have asked anybody, they'd have been like, oh, those two are never make it. They're going through so much. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about Angie? Because I will never forget the way you described her the first time I heard you describe her. She is uh, my hero, man. I, uh, I look at her and I see somebody I want to be like. Uh, so my wife is a master's degree student. She has a master's degree in forensic accounting. Uh, she does taxes. She is a full-time property manager and real estate agent. So she is far and away my professional inspiration and, and the polar opposite of me in the sense that she does not exist on any social media platform at all. And she's wildly successful. She proves the opposite of what I train people how to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, if anybody ever asks you on a quest on a on a training, have you ever seen this not work? You're like, yes, I live yep. with her. Yep, hundred percent. I live with her every day. She crushes numbers. Uh, we are we do a revenue race every year where we see who can make the most money. She kills me every single year. A revenue race. Yeah. I love it. So we've gone through your journey. So let's talk a little bit more now to who you are. Um, what do you do these days? Because um, I will have I will have explained it at the beginning. But I'd love your, your perspective on what you do because you wear a lot of hats, man. I sure do. Uh, and I love all my hats. I will continue to collect hats um, because the more you know, the more dangerous you are, the more valuable you are, the more of a well-rounded sales professional individual per period the end that you are, yeah. right? Well-rounded is the way. Uh, so let's see where to start. I guess the best thing to say is that circa 2014, I had graduated from college and went to Africa. Uh, that was the first thing we did right after we graduated. The day after we graduated, we were on a plane to West Africa together. That was the first time that I set foot in Ghana. Uh, I almost did not come home. We could have stayed there forever, and I'd have been perfectly happy. We were offered teaching gigs at the affiliate school that 
was, you know, connected to the college that we went to, we could have stayed there. Uh, in fact, one day <laughs> I probably will teach at Lagone University in Accra at some point. Uh, anyway, the point that I'm making is that we left the country right away. This was the first time that I had ever actually left the country. Um, and Africa was the thing that, that I, that we picked. Right. Um, so amazing trip. We come back and I get a job managing a Taco Bell. That's right. Taco Bell. Yeah. So I don't know if you've worked fast food before, but I had so much kitchen experience that fast food seemed like a good pit stop until I figure out what I'm going to do with this degree that I just got. So a friend of mine, someone I knew from college was a web designer and he designed a website for a company called Cirrus Insight. Cirrus Insight was the first Gmail and Salesforce integration platform ever to exist. Right. Nice. Yeah. I knew nothing about Salesforce. I knew nothing about Cirrus Insight. I knew nothing about what technology had become over the, let's say 10 years that, that I was detached from it. Right. Uh, so I, he put a Facebook post out that said, my company Cirrus Insight is looking for salespeople. Now it's worth it to say, that in and out of my kitchen jobs for years, I did sales gigs temporarily just to kind of get out of and do something different. So those, those jobs included three experiences that I think were relevant to this conversation. Lots of different ones, but I had three that were relevant to this. Uh, the first one was a company that was a third-party firm for AT&T, B2B door-to-door selling phone lines. So basically you walk in, and you find out, do you have to hang up your phone to use your, your credit card machine? Yes, I do. Great. Let me sell you another line for you know another $70 a month or whatever. And you won't have to hang up your phone to use your credit card machine anymore. Perfect. Easy sale. <laughs> right, okay. So I did the East Coast with this company and we traveled quite a bit. Van, you know, in the van, going to Alabama, going to Virginia, going to Kentucky, you know, all around Tennessee. Uh, we did door-to-door B2B, just walking around, talking to business owners, installing phone lines. Super easy. Crushed it at that, uh, and then ended up back in the kitchen. Left the kitchen again to do Orkin Pest Control. Orkin Pest Control was where I learned the power of brand. So I started as a door-to-door residential person, right? So this is a 300-pound me knocking on the door at 1130 in the morning and 70 pound soaking wet Luis, who's 94 years old, comes to the front door and decides whether or not she's going to open it to 300 pound mustache me. No, it's not happening. Okay. So I have to learn how to build rapport from the other side of the door. <laughs> you don't even get the door open. So I'm like, I'm looking for Luis. Are you Luis? I'm leaving my flyer, Luis. Okay, here, read it. I'll come back tomorrow. No problem. I'm in and out of these neighborhoods constantly. I'm like walking around. I'm parking my truck. I'm knocking on doors, sweating my ass off, man. I mean, it's a thousand degrees outside. I'm walking around in the heat in khakis, a long sleeve button up shirt, my mustache and the hard hat Orkin man, bro. Like everything that you've ever seen about Orkin. I was the guy. Okay. So, so What I did was every day at lunch, I would park at gas stations, park at grocery stores, and I'd go in and buy like a cold drink. And I'd come out and I'd sit on the back of my truck, my Orkin truck with all the equipment and everything. They deck you out and I'm eating my sandwiches. And what started happening was that I had started having people come up to me and ask me questions. Hey, I think I might have an ant problem. Can I get your opinion on what I'm seeing. Hey, can you tell me about roaches? I think I might have a problem because my neighbor has a problem. Hey, I think my kid might have brought home some lice. Can you come by and maybe take a look and see what I'm seeing? You know, I had all these like weird questions coming at me as I sat there and ate lunch and it dawned on me like, dude, stop knocking on doors. Just drive around and find busy places to sit and people will see you and ask you questions. So I did this because The Orkin brand was so recognizable. That red diamond with the white Orkin logo on the side of it, right? 
Like I'm just sitting there and people are asking me questions and I'm handing them out my card with my number on it. My phone starts ringing. When can you come out? I'm setting appointments. I'm closing deals. Like I stopped chasing it. Yeah. And I started using the well-known brand to my advantage. And that was, that was like the epiphany for me. Like, Oh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So fast forward after all those jobs, I see this Facebook post that says Serious Insights hiring salespeople. I reach out to him in the comments and I say, I'm down, call me. He calls me. He connects me with a guy named Zach Metters. Zach Metters was the business development manager at the time at Cirrus Insight. Him and I sat down at Archer's Barbecue on Kingston Pike in Knoxville, Tennessee for 20 minutes. We had a conversation that was half English, half Spanish. I'm from Miami, so we were able to do that. We go back to the office. We play two games of ping pong. And he's like, you should put your two weeks in <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the restaurant. I was like, all right, cool. So I put my two weeks in. Suddenly I'm a BDR. Suddenly Just like that. BDR. I'm handed a laptop and a phone, a Chromebook. They gave me a Chromebook to start. Jesus, okay. So I get the Chromebook. All right. I got the, I got the phone numbers. I'm learning about Salesforce. I'm dialing. I'm sending emails. I'm follow-ups. You know, people like me. They talk to me. Amazing, right? I'm setting meetings, setting meetings. Next thing I know, they're like, James, you sound great on the phones. What do you think about doing events with us? Going out, representing the company, being in front of a booth at an event. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So Dreamforce 2016, the biggest Salesforce event in the world, like 200,000 Salesforce users at many, many companies packed into San Francisco. Uh, And before I know it, I'm standing in front of a booth and just holding up gift cards going free Starbucks and people are talking to me and I'm like, have you seen serious insight? Let me show it to you. Right. We're doing demos at the booth. People are giving me their cards. I'm giving them mine. I'm coming back from the event, following up, dude, I am crushing it. Like it's just all falling into place. I'm getting raises left and right. They're like, what do you think about going to do events more often? Zach and I visited like 50 or 60 cities in like four years. Wow. I've done 80, I've done 87 or 88 events, I think, around the globe with Mr. Metters. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we we really took it home on the event side and the follow-up side. And it's led me to create what I've created now. Say what sales started in my second year when I started going to the events. Uh, I started to do videos with people and talk about things that were working for me, things that were working for them, things that were working not at all. Right. And being really honest, one minute videos, that's it with the hash with, you know, I started, Oh, I guess I should put a name on it. Then I landed on say what sales. Yeah. Where did say what sales come from? Say what is like super popular, man. I mean, say what was born in like my childhood days, but you know, it's still pretty popular today. And then also it's a double entendre because one of the most common questions that salespeople get asked is what do I say? When, what do I say? right? How do I say? What do I say? When do I say? Say what? Like, this is what you say. (laughs) (laughs) I like that a lot. But you've, you've built quite a big brand for yourself with, uh, with say what sales, you ended up in sales. Mm. And you're very well known. That's how that's how we've we ended up coming in contact. You're very well known in the B2B sales training space. Um, you obviously work with with John Barrows, who's regarded as the best sales trainer or one of the best sales trainers in the world. Um, and it's very, very different from who you were beforehand. Um, yes. Or is it? No, I think I've just channeled it into do something into doing something more positive. I think all the same drive and the same energy and the same passion and the same like you know angst is still there but it's been channeled into this other thing it's not destructive anymore so let's 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 deep dive into that i think sure channeling this into something more positive i think we're getting closer to your why now Um, yeah the world of sales can be quite addictive it's in, in and of itself um, from my interpretation of it, you are chasing, it's a very different high, but it is a high. It is. And oh, yeah. the stuff that you do with, with drugs, whereby you have a high and you're living in a moment and you're not worrying about the macro, you're only worrying about a micro and you're dealing with this and this only at a really high intensity. Uh-huh. 
that's probably firing the same parts of your brain as when you are in a... So you want to know, I passed that, though. I passed that, though. I think when I was at Cirrus Insight and I was crushing numbers uh-huh. and I was at, you know, ring leads from 2019 to 2020, like, I, you know, just going through it and like being, you know, monetarily focused and, and having that dopamine hit is a completely different addiction than that feeling you get when somebody emails you and says, James, the advice you gave me changed my life. That, that is my new addiction. <laughs> That's funny. You say that that is my new addiction. So do you think, <laughs> Oh, that, that it's funny you say that. Cause I was going to ask you that. Is it a case whereby you hit the BDR route, you got those sales, you, 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 you booked those meetings, you, you got what you needed to do and you almost maxed out that one. And then in, in a, in a chase for something new, you ended up in the world of training and being Ah, positive. So it wasn't a chase for something new. I actually intentionally put myself in a position to get offered this job. How does one intentionally put themselves in a position? Yes. Yo, let's talk about it, dude, because so, so say what sales was getting more and more popular. People kept on retweeting. People kept commenting. People kept connecting. Tell me how you're doing this. You know, give me this advice. I saw your video. It really changed how I did this. And it changed my pipe, my pipeline and the way I'm prospecting. All these things are happening in the background while I'm working at Cirrus Insight and Ringlead, Right. Thank God for Ringley because I got to work with a guy named Grant Green and he put me in an actual studio, started pointing real camera equipment at me and my content quality took a big step forward. So before that, it was just me and my phone, dude. Like I'm standing like holding my phone in front of my face. So 2019, I got to work with Grant and really learn how to like, what kind of camera do I need? Does it really matter that you have this fancy microphone? How do you manage the lighting in front of your face? Right now that stuff all got really polished when I came to JB sales, but it's what earned the attention and the opportunity to come on board on this very elite team and make no mistake. There are no B players on the JB sales team. We are all a players. I am blown away at what this team can do at an individual level every single day. It is amazing to me what these individuals can accomplish. That said, what earned me this position was literally years of consistency in delivering value, preaching the praises, singing the praises of what the training that John Barrows and Morgan J. Ingram was delivering to people could deliver, reinforcing their lessons in the conversations that I was having pointing people in the direction of JB and Morgan so that they could get the perspective that they needed to be successful building their team. Like years of this from 2016 on until 2019, this happened. And then I met Chris Merrill. Yo, when I tell you that I've never met somebody that's more attuned to like the inside things that make things grow and get better and improve, this guy is the guy like the levers and the wheels that exist. I'm like being able to see something across the plane and know how everything you do impacts every piece of the business. This is the guy to learn that from. And him and I hit it off right away. Similar backgrounds, lots of different things that had happened to him in a different way, like just sharing our experiences. The guy drinks whiskey just like I do to enjoy it instead of getting shit-faced. You know, like <laughs> it's a very all of this stuff like really matters. and. Him and I hit it off right away. Well, turns out he's known JB since they were like five years old. Full circle, man. Like Morgan and I connected. Then John hired Morgan, which was like a green light in my brain. Like, holy shit, this can happen. I could work for John. That's amazing, right? Consistently delivering the value, always being on their radar, joining them for events. This type of stuff is the type of stuff that puts people in a position to get their dream job. This is my forever home. The man will have to fire me if he wants me to go away. The ma- okay. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to clip that and send it to him. Uh, why? Why is this yeah, your forever why? home? Why is this yeah, why? the one? How, this is my forever home because I believe in it. I believe in it. That's my why. I believe, I believe salespeople need to know their worth. 
They don't. They never do. They, they associate their net worth every month with their self-worth for life. And that's not fair. That's not, that's not their worth. Their worth is so much more, right? Invest, invest in that part of it, right? I believe that John truly cares about uplifting the sales profession to help people see that worth. I believe Morgan does the same thing. Meg Holsinger trains people and they come away going, I never looked at it this way, right? Leslie Douglas, our newest trainer, bangs out all of these great trainings and people leave these sessions going, man, I, I just never saw it through this lens. That is worth it for me. Why? That's my why. Why salespeople? Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think because it's the number one profession in the world and there is so little education in it. Most of the learnings come from experiences, but I always tell people, you don't have to learn from your mistakes. You can learn from other people's mistakes. So when I share the things that work and the things that don't, I'm sparing them that learning experience from their mistake. I'm giving them my mistake. I'm giving them my wins. I'm telling, I'm telling them what's worked for me. Now, why salespeople? Salespeople have the hardest job in the world, and that's getting people to want to talk to them about their money, about spending. Like, man, it's got to be the hardest thing in the world. It has to be. Think about it like this, right? And I think I talked about this at the happy hour I did on St. Patrick's Day, right? St. Patrick has to be the number one salesperson in the world, man. That guy came <laughs> and sold Christianity to an island full of warring clans that didn't believe in, in Jesus. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, that is the sale. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are the best, the most challenged salespeople in the world. They are selling the fact that what we've believed for years is wrong. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Salespeople, because I'm passionate about sales, because I like the art and the science of sales. I have one question that I think might help me to tie this I have this so many. <laughs> that, I think, that I think might help me to tie this all together. Between, before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask this, and I, I hope it's one you haven't gotten before. Before you met Angie, so that, that before, the area of your life before then, yeah. was there uh, an element of loneliness in your life? Mm. You know, I have to say that I've, I've been blessed to never really feel truly alone. That's probably a, that's probably an honest answer from me on that one. You know, my best friend, James Shand works for a company called ring lead. I was there for 2019. I brought him into the business in 2019. Great sales professional. This man is amazing. I've known him since we were, since I was 16, he's always been there. You know, Matt Sokolow, uh, I've known him since I believe I was 13 and always been there. Uh, my mother is my number one fan. And let me tell you that my mother and I really have been through a lot. Like we have, you and I have scratched the surface mm. on experiences that changed my life. And my mother is a warrior, a soldier. She made it, man. She made it through some shit. Yeah. <laughs> And she made it through my shit. And uh, I gave her a lot of it. You know, I've never, my father, despite all of his aggression and anger and addiction and the way that he like lashed out at us as children and, you know, was a relatively violent man, was also loving, extremely knowledgeable, very helpful, driving, compassionate, you know, loved music, had a lot of great qualities about him. You know, we can find the good and the bad in everybody. But one of the things that's always been good for me is that I've been surrounded by people that love and support me my whole life, even in my worst times. So have I ever really felt a sense of loneliness? I think that if I had to say the truth, I would say that there's probably a, a world of individuals out there that have felt loneliness on levels I've never even dreamed of. James, you've, you've painted a fire in my brain. With something, and I'd love to, I'd love to get your thoughts on something. Yeah. So you've 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 explained your why, um, why you love that element of 
of helping salespeople. Yeah. And you mentioned that salespeople is the best job in the world. I'd love to yeah. get your opinion on something. I think that there's an element of you that because you've had this love and you've had this support, you've seen an industry of people who get rejected day after day after day, as it is our mm. job. I get the feeling that has, an, that has a personal impact on you. You talked about it as a kid having so, ADHD. You talked about yep. being a, a fighter. You talked about the drugs side of things. And I feel like you've, you've very much, every part of you identifies with the struggle of salespeople and the fast-pacedness and the addictive qualities that we mm-hmm. have as salespeople. Um, yeah, I think all those things are right. And I think you're on to my, uh, my why, if you will. Right. Uh, but I also want to point out that I like helping people, period. I'm the first guy to help an old lady cross the street or hold a door for a lady or let my, let my wife pull my wife's seat out when I take her to dinner. You know, there are people that make comments in our lives about the thoughtful things that I do. And I'll be real honest with you. My why is that I got a lot of really shitty things in my past that I got to make up for. I've done a lot of really terrible things that I'll spend the rest of my life apologizing for subconsciously and, uh, and consciously. Do you think you'll ever forgive yourself? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I have, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it with you right here, right now. This is how we do it. You know, we get it out there. we be honest about it. We tell people. What you learned, what did, man, what did I learn about being an asshole? Nobody likes a fucking asshole. I learned that, right? That's 100% true. You lose a lot of friends when you're an asshole. You know, what do you, what do you learn about addiction? You learn that it puts you in a hole that you have spent a lifetime crawling out of. What do you learn about therapy is that it's necessary to be able to get that help you need and talk to somebody about your problems that doesn't judge you, Right. What do you learn about growth? You learn that you're going to get out of this life what you put into it. What do you learn about success? You learn that it's defined differently from person to person because of our veil of ignorance, our experiences in our past. I think, based on what you've said, I think your addictions have changed. I think you're addicted (laughs) to people. I think you're addicted to people. (laughs) Amen to that. Yeah, I think that has to be. It's pretty entertaining. I'll give it that. (laughs) It definitely is entertaining. Um, Man, before I let you go, I have one question for you. Yeah. You're very open about everything, as we've just found out. So what is it? Is there something you wish people knew about you that people don't know about you? Yeah, I wish people knew that I struggled with self-confidence and struggle with acceptance and being good enough right now, today, every day, just like you do. When we project confidence, it doesn't mean that we don't have moments of doubt. It's important to realize our flaws as human beings, and I have my own set of flaws. What we put out there when we create content are ideas. They're submissions that come directly from us that could potentially better your life, you know, but we're not always 100% confident in everything that we do. I don't care who you are. If you asked Kanye West, if he ever had a moment where he was afraid on that stage, he's going to tell you, yeah, I remember this time. And he's going to fill that blank in for you. Those people, influencers, these individuals that you see that are constantly online talking about how wonderful things are. They have their moments too. And I wish people would realize that about folks like me, John, Morgan, like we all have those moments where we feel like the person that should be learning in the room. James, this whole thing is about life with a why and why people do what they do. What a, like you've lived a life. Um, <laughs> You did. Life with a Y, with a Y. With a Y, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's been, you've had multiple, I feel. You've had multiple elements of them all come through. You've done things in different orders than, than people. Yeah. And I feel like your, I feel like your why, it's, it's funny that you mentioned this thing, struggling with the idea of being good enough and why you do what you do, which is now training salespeople. 
understand why John is going to have to fire you to get you out of his life <laughs> is because you don't want people to struggle the way you have with something that, no, I'm going down the wrong path. I feel as though you've been supported through all of this and you know what it's like to thrive in an environment where people actually believe in you. And you want to make sure that other people in this space, in the sales space, that you can provide some form of encouragement, guidance that can light a spark in somebody and let them all. And it will be, it's part of that addictive thing that we talked about, whereby you can just see somebody go and that will light up a part of you. Um, and it's something that you can do again and again. It's where you can, you can have, you've had a doctor give you a pep talk and it changes your life. Um, you've had your, your, your dad talk, talk to you very quickly and it changes your perspective on your mom. And as far as I can see, this is going to be a, this is what you're trying to do. This is your why is giving that spark to other people to change their perspective on something and set them on a, on a different path. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I love changing people's perspectives. I have a phrase I shoot for on all my calls. I never looked at it that way, or I never saw it that way. I look for that phrase. And if I can get someone to say it, I feel that I've done them a service. Well, I've never looked at your life this way. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. Mission accomplished. That's my why, y'all. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Um, well, look, thank you very much for, for joining. Yeah, we had, we got, we got deep there. Um, what would you like people to know uh, about you? Where would you like people to go and find you? Oh, actually, what's your phone number? Because uh, I know you like to give it up. <laughs> So if those of you are out there, feel free to call me. I love a good cold call. I will critique your cold call. So don't be afraid to call me 305-632-6005. You can email me at james at jbarrows.com. I'm happy to tell you anything you want to know about sales training that we offer and how we can help you do it better. And you can become a member of my audience at ondemand.jbarrows.com where all of our training courses, techniques, tips, and tactics can be found and they are at your disposal. I can personally attest to that. I'm actually an affiliate. So if you, uh, if you want to look at that sales training course, please reach out to me because I get money when you, when you do. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, James, thank you very much for, for joining. I, there's one last thing I want you to do. How do you end every piece of content? I end every content the same way, whether it's written or in video. Hashtag say what sales. If you're a salesperson, we're the same person. James, thank you very much for coming on and, and joining. I will chat with you again soon. Yes, sir. Well, there you have it. The life of James Buckley, or at least some of it. Today was a really, really, really interesting look into this man. You'll see him, those of us in the, in the sales world, will see him pretty much everywhere. Now we know why. Um, so, that is not where this story ends. So, today we looked at a lot of different elements of James's life. However, after we finished recording on today's podcast episode, as some of you will know, I looked back at my notes and I realized that we had touched on so many different icebergs. We had touched on so many different really deep topics, but hadn't actually deep dived into any of them. So that's what we did the following two weeks. So two weeks, uh, the week after we recorded that, that episode, we came back and we looked at the very beginning, the first half, let's say, of his life. That, that element of him being in Florida and, and the first time in Tennessee everything that we talked about today, we looked at why somebody like that does what they do. Then, the week afterwards, we then went back and looked at everything after, after that. So why does he do what he does now? And we delved a lot into family, we delved into, into his life, we delved into his, the, his past, the very beginning, the, the addiction side of things, and we really got a much clearer image of who the man is and why he does what he does. So stick around for those. Those will be coming out over the next two weeks. And uh, all I can say is there are a lot of shocks and surprises that we didn't get today that I'm really glad I asked about. 
uh, in, in, in the following weeks. As always, I would love to hear your feedback on today's episode. Is there anything you'd wish I asked? Is there anything that you liked? Anything you really didn't like? And it was it too long, too short? I'm learning here and I would love your feedback on this. Um, I really want to hear what you have to say. Speaking of which, you can find me pretty much anywhere on, on any platform. Um, it is probably easiest to find me on, on Instagram. However, that brings me on to a second point. Some of you guys have been telling me that it is that you're finding it a little bit hard to find this these episodes. Now, this is the beginning of June 2021, um, so whenever you're hearing this, it may have changed. However, if you're finding it hard to, to find the episodes, please let me know. Um, and also, please start searching for it online. Um, the more that the algorithms realize that people are looking for me, the easier it is for them to serve it up to new people. At least, that's, that's the way I think it works. Regardless, I hope you're having a good day. I really hope you look, I'm really looking forward to, to releasing next week's episode and showing you a little bit more as to what the beginning of James's life has, has looked like. And as always, if there's anything that I can do for you, please do let me know. Have a good day, guys, and I'll chat with you again soon.